Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you today. Really excited about what God has in this message today. Um, you know, we've been looking at the different realms of our life that you've just heard in that, in that intro and the different realms that speak about areas that, that we want to bring glory to Christ through and in. And many times when we talk about this aspect of whether our family or self or um, areas that we're involved possibly in civil government or, or whatever it may be, there is, there is the truth about when we look to God's Word to define what it looks like to live out for Jesus in every area of our, of our life. And, you know, for us as a church, we are a, an, an equipping church. For me, very important to equip you. Um, the purpose of my role, according, according to Ephesians 4, is a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So somehow we live in a world, we would kind of flip that around. It's kind of like, oh, the pastor does the ministry. But according to the Bible, actually you do. The church does. So we come together and we gather and we worship and we experience God's presence. We hear a word of God together. And then you go out into your areas of life and bring what you have learned. Bring what has equipped you and bring what has strengthened you. And so for us as a church, it's important we understand that when we share the, the teachings of God's word, it's not um, in part. Our, my heart as we, as we want to acknowledge that Christ is king, is to equip you with the whole of the Bible, like all of it, like every bit of it. And there are times that, that it can be uncomfortable because some people maybe who don't know God or are beginning in their journey with God are like, oh, wow, why'd you just say that? And that's countercultural and, well, that's rude or that's mean or whatever. And, and the truth is this, no, no, the, all this is about equipping us all this also is about exposing the deception of the enemy that would try to come into your family or come into your mind. But it's also about us understanding why church exists, why a pastor exists. And a pastor exists to equip you with the Word of God. Not as ideas, not as funny stories, which I don't have a whole lot. Um, not, not with his charisma or personality or not with something that's just superficial. No, a pastor's job is to equip the body with the word of God. That's it. To equip you with that word. So that's, that's my heart. But when, when I'm, as I'm sharing all of this, I, I want you to understand the vision and purpose of why we exist as a church. It's to equip you. It's so that you can go and be everything that God has called you to be in every area of your life. Now, part of this too, sometimes, as you begin to lean in on things and you go, man, that's a, as we're looking at how to bring glory to Christ, we, we can feel at times that it's about our performance. It's about our sufficiency and our strength and how, how strong I am. But as we look at God, who is the covenant God. Last week we looked at how God is the one who brings marriage together in covenant. We talked about what a covenant of the forming of a family, what it is and what it isn't, according to the scriptures. We must acknowledge and realize, though, that God is the covenant-keeping God. He's also a covenant God, and he is the one who sets the, the, the terms of the covenant. But all things, all areas that we're looking at fall underneath this covenant that I'm going to talk about today, that if you don't get this, if you don't understand this, 
If you don't allow this to go in your bones, you're going to find yourself constantly in internal turmoil and frustration. And I want to talk today about how, how we're, as we're looking at the family, talking about the new covenant of God's grace. Because God is a covenant-keeping God. And so if you don't understand the covenant of grace, you're going to try to do it all yourself. And let me tell you something, you ain't and you're going to fail. It isn't happening. And so as we look at coming out of the kingship of, of Jesus, as we looked last week, we, we looked at what headship was, that Jesus is our head, he's our leader. So, and we looked at he's the one over marriage. And next week, we're going to look at roles as husbands and wives and within family and children. And it doesn't matter whether you're married or not. This is relevant to you because we're looking at the scriptures on what does that look like in your life. But we want to look at this understanding that it is only by God's grace that you can live out anything that we find in God's word. It's only by God's grace. It's not by your will. It's not by following a system. It's only by the grace and the goodness and the mercy of God. So important. Just to speak to this point, I, I often have the, I have the honor of doing, doing weddings and officiating weddings. And a uh, little side funny joke, I, I used to say a lot, um, you, you know, um, I, yeah, I did, I did their, their, their wedding. And so, um, you know, I'm from the South. And so... I went and did a family member's wedding, and uh, someone said, where'd you go? I said, I went and I married my sister. I was like, no, no, that's not what, so I use the word officiating. Um, and so I have the honor of officiating uh, the, the, the marriage and the, the wedding. And many times when I, when, I, when I do the wedding, I read the scriptures about what it means to be married. I look at Ephesians 5 and Read through that, the roles of husbands and wives. And then I flip over to Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, which you get at every wedding that you go to, right? And, and you start to, to lay these out. You go, hey, but this is, this is what love looks like. Okay, what does it look like? You go, love is patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, is not proud, does not dishonor others, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then the last one is this, love never fails. And then I pause for a second and I tell this precious couple, I say, everything that I just told you about what, what you're supposed to do is impossible for you to do. And usually people chuckle because it's like, yeah, that's right. That's totally true. Has anybody here ever loved perfectly in your home? Has anyone here ever not been kind or not boast about something? Or has anyone here never done anything self-seeking in your house or in your own personal life? Just, just take out, you know, outside of family because family is made up of individuals. But what, what is, no, all of us have failed. So then... Why does God tell us in his word what we're to do something? Well, listen, it is impossible 
for you to live out your relationship with God, your relationship with others, your relationship with, within a family, within a marriage, within, no matter what, where, what it is, without understanding the power of the grace of God. You can't do it. Because then you'll become a legalist and you'll become someone who's always worried about what I don't do or do do or do whatever. And you're just focused all the time. Because here's the truth. We need to understand that what we look at, what we see, what we're aware of all the time is what really can lead us and guide us. Because, because what, what you are focusing on is what you will go towards. So we live in a world that we are sin conscious as, as believers, as Christians. We naturally are like, oh, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin. And Scripture does speak to that. And if you were in your, if in your own life, if you go, hey, okay, I can't, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. God doesn't want me to do this. What happens is, is you, you're focused on sin. You're sin conscious. But the grace and covenant of God is this. He wants you to be Jesus conscious. He wants you to be looking at Jesus. He wants you to be focused on Jesus. If I tell you this, whatever you do, you can think of anything else, but do not think of an elephant. You see an elephant. And so when you are focused on sin, you will always be looking at sin. And sin will always be what you're measuring. It's kind of like when I, uh, growing up when I took driver's ed, now I grew up in the country, so it wasn't that difficult. It's like, hey, don't just keep it between the ditches and have a good time. But this was like, you, I remember the teacher telling me this. He said this, Jason, remember, whatever you look at, you will start to steer that direction. So if you're driving and you look over here, and all of a sudden the car will start going that direction. Same way in our life. If we're constantly staring at sin, looking at sin, saying, I can't sin, I can't sin, I can't sin, you will begin to drift towards sin. But if you look at Jesus and you understand this covenant of grace and what it's about and what he did for you and who he is, and it's about his person, not your person. It's about him, his, how he lived his life. It's not about how you lived your life. If you look at Jesus, you become more like Jesus. And so today, this is the foundation to everything about really this series, about this covenant, about a family. All of it is, has to be anchored and rooted in the foundational reality of the grace of God, that you and I are in a new covenant grace of God. And what does that mean? Most don't understand the covenant of grace. And many don't, don't, don't even They'll call it grace, but they don't understand it. And until you become correctly connected to or related to God by his grace, you will never fully live the freedom that God has for you. You won't. You'll live striving. Until you fully understand the covenant of grace that God has made with you and all of mankind through his son Jesus, you will struggle for victory in your life. You'll spend your life striving to perform for God and for others. 
And I believe, I believe that God wants to deliver many of you today from this performance mentality that at the end of the day, that your value and your worth and who you are is directly connected to, to the boxes that you checked off. You can say, okay, I did this, did this, did this, didn't do that, didn't do that, did that. Okay, all right, 80%. And we grade ourselves and be like, okay, I'm 80% righteous today. And that means I can, I can sleep pretty decent. Many of us look to our performance as our identity. And that is not how things work in the covenant of God's grace. Many of us strive to live for God in our personal lives. We strive to live for God in our family lives. We strive to live for God in our married lives, in our church lives. And what I mean by striving is this. The outcomes of all those things are determined upon me. Now, hearing it, we go, oh, gosh, that's terrible. But living it out, we all are guilty of this. And I just believe God wants to give us a fresh view of what it means to live under the covenant of grace when it comes to our individual lives and our family lives. And the covenant of grace from God goes against all of our, of our psyche and all of our fleshly thinking. But under the covenant of God's grace... This is about us looking to Jesus, to all the areas of our lives, looking to him. It's him who works through me. It's him who gives me the power to be what he's called me to be. Now, I'm not talking about not ever making decisions and not ever, you know, walking things out or working through our own struggles. I'm not talking. I'm talking about living a life of self-sufficiency in our spiritual worlds. Many of us are self-sufficient. Many people understand, listen, I can't save myself, so I need a Savior. And so God's Spirit reveals to someone, hey, you need to, to put your faith in Christ. And they do that, and we all do that. And then from there we go, thanks God, I got it from here. Lord, I'm, I'm good. You saved me, and I'll, so thanks, thanks for that. Now I'll keep my salvation by my performance. And we do the same thing in our families. We do the same thing in our, with our children. And many of us struggle today, including me, because we, we lose connection understanding what the covenant of grace is all about and how it manifests in our life. So you did nothing to save your sorry butt, right? We know that. And I said butt, it's fine. <laughs> you did nothing. But God, by his kindness and grace, was like, I want to save you. And then we are given his identity, which we're going to look at in just a moment. But then we think, now it's up to me to keep my salvation. And the covenant of grace messes with our minds. Some of you are even uncomfortable right now. You're like, oh, Jason, you better be careful. Don't, 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 don't give people a license don't, don't, to sin or whatever. We're not going to be sin conscious. We're going to be Christ conscious. So what does it look like to be Christ 
centered in our lives. And so the reason, that the, I'll, I'll tell you this, self-sufficiency creates a lot of issues and problems in our homes. It creates homes that are controlling. It creates um, individuals who are, who are cranky all the time. Someone who's a legalist who thinks they're, they're standing before God is all about their performance all the time. They're, they're cranky or they're depressed or they're hurting because their flesh fails them. Well, yeah, that's true. That's what happens. Or marriages that are, that are you know, listen, I, when Cheryl and I first got married, this is a true statement. Don't judge me for this one. And I didn't ask her permission because it's thrown me under the bus. So it's fine. We were having a struggle in our marriage, and I was not being kind or loving. I was being stubborn and arrogant, and, and I, just said, I just said, if you would just do what the Bible says and submit to me, our family would be just fine. <laughs> so I ought to write a book, Things Not to Do When You Get Married. <laughs> but it was, it was, I'm like, well, let's just obey the Bible. Well... Grace is a little different. Yes, we are to lean into God because it's his best for our lives. But I was a legalist. I was all about the rules. I wasn't about grace. So why self-sufficiency gives us a lot of trouble in our marriages, in our personal lives. As a matter of fact... We need to understand this. This is very, very interesting. This whole aspect, what the reason why we are seeing the war in Israel right now is because Abraham tried to bring about God's purpose and covenant through self-sufficiency, not through grace. When God told Abraham that he and Sarah were going to have a son, they were excited. Of course, it's a big deal to have a son back in those days. Not only that, but Abraham's offspring was going to be as many as the stars of the heavens and the sand of the sea. Wow, this is great. God told him that. God promised him that. It was God's promise. And it was God's grace. Abraham didn't come up with the idea. God did. It was God's grace. Hey, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and give you a son. And, and you're going to have a big line of descendants. Abraham's like, great. But it wasn't happening like they thought it would happen. But as years passed on, as they got older, they didn't have a son. They continued to not have a son. And they thought, you know what? Let's help God out for this one. Hey, Sarah, maybe we've been looking at this all the wrong way. That God, it was God's promise and God's grace to give us the promise, but it's up to us to actually make it happen. And so what happens when he became self-sufficient, he, as we know, but for those of you who maybe don't, they thought, let's compromise some things to get God moving a little bit on this promise. And so Abraham, through Sarah's permission, had sex with Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, and I'm sure Abraham was like, well, I guess after all, Sarah, I, I, you know, I mean, we have to do our part, so okay. So he goes and has sex, 
Hagar gets pregnant, gives birth to a child named Ishmael, which is not God's promised seed or, or descendant. Because the promise was to Abraham and Sarah. But Abraham and Sarah thought it's not happening fast enough or we're not seeing this in our life, so we're going to do it ourselves. We're going we're to become legalists and get this thing done. So they were, they were sincere, but we're still seeing the ripple effect of that mess that was made through self-sufficiency. And the descendants of Isaac, which was the promised son, and Ishmael are still at war. Arabs and the Jews. And the covenant of God's grace is about you receiving God's promise to you based off of what Jesus has done for you, not off of your performance. It's about you saying, I believe Jesus has done that for me, and now I want his grace to work through my life. So this passage today lays out what it looks like to live under the covenant of grace and this is the place that we start, after you put your faith in Christ. So if you, if, you, if you say, you know what, I believe that God sent his son and died for me. I believe that he died in my place. I believe that he bore the penalty of my sins. If you believe that, because it's through faith, and you change the way you think about, you know, which is repentance is what repentance means, changing the way you think. So you change your thoughts. You're like, I can't save myself. And I need Jesus to save me, and I believe he did that. And so I'm going to change the way I think how I live my life, about my, why I exist, about my, my whole being, my sexuality, my relationships, my finances. And I'm going to change my thoughts and put my hope in Jesus. That's what's called you're saved. You trust what Jesus did for you, and you're, you become saved through that. So this is the place we start. And this is where the, the, the covenant of grace took place. And so until you understand your identity in the covenant of God's grace, you're going to struggle. So for us today, as we live in the covenant of God's grace, because if you don't understand this, you're going you're to be a, a, a bean counter in your own personal life and family about what someone did right, someone did wrong. Someone did right, someone did wrong. And then you weigh them out. But that's actually not the way the covenant of grace works. So that covenant of grace is to manifest itself through, through our lives. So for me, in our lives, the question is, what, what happens if after we, we come to Christ, we sin and we fall and we fail? Now let me ask you a question, since we're in church. Let's do some confession here. How many here did not live up to the standards we see in God's word after you got saved? Raise your hands. That, that you, okay. All right, that's most of us. The rest of you are liars, it's fine. <laughs> so here's the question, what then? What does that mean? I'm constantly confronted with my humanness. I'm constantly con confronted with, my, with the areas of my life that, that I, I'm like, man, I thought I was more mature than that. Man, I thought I, I had surrendered that to the Lord. As the book of James says, we read the scriptures and it's like a mirror and we go, hmm, I, uh, I don't look like that. I mean, there are things in scripture I'm like, I wish that wasn't there. And then I go, 
how do I, how do I bring glory to Christ in my life if that's not evident in my life? It's called the grace of God. So before I read this scripture, we need to understand the Apostle Paul, where he came from. He was a, a murderer. He was, um, he was, he was one of, one of the, the most significant and influ- influential um, teachers of the law back in the day in Israel. And so he thought it was, it was his job to eradicate the church of Jesus Christ. And so he did. He helped murder Christians. The one that we're significant is Stephen. He actually, he, he helped hold the coats and cloaks of those who had judged Stephen and were stoning him, hitting him with rocks until he died. Paul stood there in celebration of this. But then we know that Jesus, through his grace, intercepted Paul and changed his life. Instead of destroying the church, he began building the church. And so Paul is writing in, in Romans 7, he speaks to the reality that we are in Christ and we still continue to sin. So no, though sin is no longer our master, it's a powerful force in our life. We have to deal with it. And so it's this identity that in those moments of struggle and those moments that, that we're like, we're, we're tired and we're not, we're not living the way that we know we should, we can forget who we are because, because now hear, hear me on this, because we judge our identity based off of our performance. That's what all of us do. So we go, yes, but I sinned. That must mean I'm a sinner. Yes, but I failed. That must mean I'm a failure. Yes, I came up short. That must mean that I'm not enough. And so we revert back to old ways of when we belong to Adam, when we belong to, to, to sin. And then we begin to get back into patterns of sin and patterns of thinking. Why? Because we're sin conscious. As, as, as uh, Paul says in Romans 7, it's, we, we, we know we should do something. We do not do it. And the evil we know we should not do it, we still do it. This is Paul. He's like expressing his, he wrote most of the New Testament. And then, then he, he, he says something. After he looks at his struggle, he makes a statement and he asks, and he makes a statement, then he asks a question. He says this, what a wretched man I am. And here's the question. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Like he looks, he's like, man, what do I do with this? And who will rescue me? Because I'm not doing a good job. And so this question, it's, it's, it's this hanging question. But here's the deal. It's the hanging question of all of our hearts if we don't understand the covenant of God's grace. Unless you understand how to answer this question correctly, you're going to struggle with your relationship with God and relationship with others. Let's see. Let's, let's look at how Paul, after he looks at all this, he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to be, I'm looking at Jesus. And then he answers the question, who's going to rescue me from, from this, this stuff in my life? 
Romans 8, 1 says, because therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law, he's referring to the old covenant law that, that, that said you have to do this and do this and do this. And if you don't do any of them, you're guilty of violating all of them. Therefore, you're condemned. But now there's a new spirit. There's a new law. It's from the spirit. For what the law, meaning the rules of the old, old covenant, was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. In other words, because you couldn't keep all the rules. God took care of it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering and so he condemned sin in the flesh. Who's he? God. He condemned your sin in the flesh of Jesus. In order that, for the purpose that the righteous requirement of the law must be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So many times we hear we hear that Jesus, you know, Jesus, Jesus is the one that is blocking God's wrath from us currently today. And we see God as this angry God. He's waiting to get you, waiting to hit you on the head, waiting to be like, aha, gotcha. But Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't, God. I'm, I'm protecting them. I, no, you, I, it's okay. It's all right. God, that is not the covenant of God's grace. It's God's idea to send his own son for you. It was God's, it was birth in his heart that those who were made in my image that I created who were hurting and broken and enslaved to sin, I love them so much, I'm gonna sacrifice my own son to die in their place even when they're enemies of me, even when they don't want me to, I'm going to send my son to make a way for them. And according to this passage, God has placed judgment, actually, on us. And it may not be the judgment that you think or you feel. Again, this is why we must put our old thoughts away about who God is and look at his word and actually who he is. Most of us see God through our, our relational interaction with people and, you know, listen, if, if, I, if I say something mean to you, then I know you're offended until I, you know, and, until I actually come around and say, I'm sorry, you're going to withhold your affection from me. You're going to withhold your communication uh, to me. That We think it's, it's, this, it's this back and forth all the time. That when you fall and fail, God turns his back on you. He's like... You idiot. And I'll, I'll give you my attention when you come here and, and grovel. And then finally we come and grovel and he goes, okay, I'll give you my attention again. That is not the covenant of God's grace. Covenant of God's grace is that his spirit dwells in you. Wherever you go on the earth, Jesus says, I am with you always to the ends of the world. This is a covenant of security, not a covenant of insecurity. 
So this new, this new covenant of God's grace. And actually says in the beginning of that passage, it says there's no condemnation. In other words, there was a charge that was held against you. And this, this word, no condemnation, actually it, it's, a, it's a legal word. It means to judge down. To say, no, there's a charge, there's a charge, but I'm judging. that. that nope, we're not, we're not having that charge over their life. We had a charge against us, and God has judged that charge down. And this, this, is what, this, is what the, this is what the charge was. This is what you were charged with, you were judged with by God. Number one, you were judged with this, not guilty. That's, that's his judgment over you, not guilty. In Christ, that's his judgment, not guilty. Our identity is so important. In other words, what gives us our identity? Is it our performance? Is it our failures? Or is it Jesus? This, this, this is, this is mind-blowing to, to many of us. And to me today, continues to be blown away by grace, wrap my heart around grace. I can drift into the legalist. I can drift into the performance that I feel better about myself based off of my performance. But actually, it's about what God has said over us. And he said, you are not guilty. So for us, we have to live from the identity that God has said about us. And so if God has says, said not guilty, why do you keep telling yourself you're guilty? Why do you allow your words to elevate the God of the universe words and what he says in, his, in, in the Bible why do you allow that thought or those words to become greater than what God has said about you? He said you are not guilty. Here's the deal. We have an enemy of our soul that wants to limit you from living out actually who you are. And so it's so important we live from our identity. So if the enemy of our soul, Satan, can convince you that you're worthless, you'll start acting worthless. If he can convince you that you're a failure, you'll start acting like a failure. If he can convince you that you are a lost cause and a sinner, you'll start acting like you're a lost cause and a sinner. Because you, you become what you believe. And this is the life of faith that God has called all of us to live through our lives. By faith, I believe what God said about me more than what I say about me. Because I have put my faith in Christ. And the scripture says that all who put their faith in Christ are saved. And I have aligned my life with what, I, what the scripture says. And by faith I believe that. And when that happens, we receive the judgment that's already been given. I, I, I want you to understand this. The judgment for sin has already been given. It's already been paid. Hebrews says that, that God sacrificed his son once and for all. There is no, he, Jesus doesn't keep going and sacrificing when you, when you repent. The, the penalty for sin has been paid. It's done. It's over. And all you have to do is actually, no, I believe that. You're saved. I put my trust in that. You're saved. 
Most of us live, and we, we love Romans 8 because this, you know, helps us understand our position um, before Christ. But it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Most of us live within that scripture now. Most can quote 823 but cannot quote 824. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In Christ, God says you're not guilty. He declares you not guilty. He also declares you are righteous. You are righteous. What righteous means is that you have the right standing of you, you, there's a rightness about you in the presence of God. Now, I, let's just be honest. Do we always feel that, that righteousness of God? No. Do most of us think when we, when we fail, then we're, we're, we're not a child of God, and then we repent, then we're a child of God again, and we fail, and we're not a child of God, and then we repent. Then we, it, it's, it's, the, it's the God turning his back, turning back, turning his back, turning back. That is not the covenant of God's grace. You are his child. You will struggle. You will have some issues sometimes, many times. But as we keep, keep looking to Jesus, keep looking to who he is, keep focusing on what he did and what he calls us and what he says about us and his heart for us, then we will begin to live out what we believe and what we're looking at. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We became the righteousness of God. Crazy. So what that means is by putting your faith in Christ, you are positionally righteous. You are positionally before God holy. You've, you are functionally, because we still have this, live on this fallen earth, you are functionally sinful at times. But we look and we compare and we go, Jesus, will you, will you change me? Will you allow your grace to move through me and work in me? So the Apostle Paul was constantly reminding believers what it means to be covered in the righteousness of Christ. Covered, clothed in his righteousness. Like, like clothed in his righteousness. Like if, if you got a jacket and you, you take it off. And this is the righteousness. This is the righteousness of God, let's say. And I take this water bottle and I put it in here and I cover it. I cover it up. When you look at the water bottle, what do you see? My jacket. When you look at this, if I set it right here, you would not say, there's a water bottle in there. I see that water bottle. No, because through Christ, what God did is he clothed, he took, he took the righteousness of Jesus and he wrapped you in it. And because of your faith in Christ, as you received what he had done, when he looks at you, he sees the jacket. You're, yeah, but I'm the water bottle. God doesn't see it. You're clothed, wrapped, submerged in the righteousness of Christ. 
This is why baptism is, is so important. It symbolizes what happened to you. But you put your faith in Christ, you received salvation that was purchased for you. You baptized, you went, you, it just demonstrates you went into the water, which represents you, you died, you're gone. But you came up under the righteousness of Jesus. That's, that's a picture of your salvation. So God, no, he no longer looks at us as unrighteous. Instead, he looks at us through the filter of the righteousness of his son, Jesus. And just like God delights in his son, he glorified his son. He glorified his son to the right hand of the father. He, he, all things are made through his son and for his son. Guess what? It's the same for you now. He delights in you. He doesn't, let's just say God it was, was a, came down for a moment and, and you could physically walk in. He's not like, oh, there's, there's my daughter again. When is she going to clean up her life? Though, though that, that's not his will for you, he's like, hey, sweetheart, come here. I love you. You're my daughter. And it's through that grace and through that understanding we begin to, as we look to our identity, we begin to go towards our identity. It's like this. It's like Noah and the ark. Everybody remembers the story of Noah and the ark. Remember, God told Noah to build a boat and he said, I'm going to send judgment to the earth. And the only way to escape my judgment is to get in the ark. So they brought all the animals in the ark and then the Bible, Bible says God welcomed Noah and his family into the ark. I, I, want you, I want you to look at the scripture if you never have. And the Bible says that God shut them in. They were safe in the ark. They weren't touched from the judgment of God. Why? Because God shut them in to his protection of the ark. It's the same as when we, when we put our faith in Christ. We are in the ark. We're safe. And we're saved. So for all of us, condemnation is our go-to as humans. It's our go-to. I told someone the other day, I said, you know, we were talking about just work stuff and I said, man, I, I have lived my whole life with this low-grade sense of I should be doing more. And so all I, I've, I've, I have to be very disciplined or I focus on what I haven't done, what I should do. I need to do more. I need to do more. Even though I'm tired, I'm, I just I can't do anymore. But, yeah, you, you're a failure because you don't have the fortitude to do what God's asked you to do. That's living in self-sufficiency. And it produces not good fruit in my life. I can get cranky. I can overextend myself. I can get anxious about things or frustrated. And my attitude gets all wonky and weird. And Why? Because I've stopped looking at the grace of God and his spirit that flows through me. Instead, I've looked at my performance and what I'm not. And so for us, we need to understand what do we do then? So when we fall, when we stumble, when we, when we sin, what, what is it? I mean, oh, you're saying, Jason, we don't, have to, we don't have to, like, you know, continue to walk out of the relationship with God. We're like, I'm saved. I can go do whatever I want. No, that's not what the Scripture says. 
What the scripture says is when you give your life to Jesus, then look at who you are in Christ and then ask him to allow who he is to be manifested in your life. 1 John 2, 1 says this, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. So John is writing to a church that these are Christians, these are believers. He says, now listen, yes, I'm not saying go sin. No, we ought not to sin, but if you do, your identity doesn't change. Remember, you have an advocate who constantly before God is like, yeah, they're covered in my righteousness. Covered in my righteousness. They're covered in my righteousness. God's like, yes, they are. I, I love them. They're covered in your righteousness. It's because Jesus is the advocate who's constantly, continuously cleansing us from all the things that are not continuously and constantly. The other thing that God has judged over you in the covenant of his grace is this, number three, you're, you are free from the slavery of sin. So before you gave your life to Jesus, before you put your faith in Christ, sin was not an act or something you did. It was something you were enslaved to. It was your slave master is what the scripture says. But now in Christ, there is nothing that can force you to sin anymore. Now we, again... Sin is a significant force that we deal with in our lives. But it's not about sin, not about sin. It's about what Jesus has saved me. Jesus has cleansed me. According to Romans 8, that Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So he, is, he has unhooked you. You are free. He was your liberator from sin. When you put your faith in him, you received freedom. You were em emancipated from your slavery to sin. Free. And the reality is this. We know that the wages of sin are death. But for you, because you put your faith in Christ, there's a new law operating inside of you. There's a new law that's been written on your heart. And this is the law of the spirit. It's the law of life that God put in you, that you are, you are secure, you are righteous, you are holy because of Christ. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that, that no condemnation should flow in our lives and through our lives. So there's no condemnation when you don't live up to your identity in Christ. When you fall short. And you're like, ah, I'm, I'm worthless. No, you're not. You're holy and righteous because I said you are. So there's no condemnation when you go through marriage problems. When you're like, oh, man, we're, we're, I'm such a failure. I can't. Relationally, I'm so jacked up. And why can't I? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm condemned. I, I'm I'm horrible. And I acted this way, and man, I'm such an idiot. Well, does God say that about you? Okay, you got some cleaning up to do. But God says, I'll give you my grace, and I'll give you my, my spirit to help you work those things out. But that's not who you are, son. Don't, don't stop, act, stop saying that about you. Look to me and who you are.
and receive restoration. And parenting struggle, there's nothing, more we fall into condemnation from, from our failures in parenting. And we're like, oh, I, I, and it limits, it limits our interaction with, with others and, and God because we just, we, we just label ourselves, I'm a failure. I screwed it up. Okay, all right, all right. You did, but you are still his son and you're still his daughter. And you're not, you're not identified by your failures. You're identified by Christ's victories over your life. Look to him. Look to him. And your sufferings, many people, because we have this, this blessing and curse mentality that in Christ it's like blessing, curse, blessing, curse. You go through suffering or pain and, or a closed door or relational pain or you're going through anxiety or, or, or physical pain or sickness and you, or, or whatever it may be. This is what almost everybody thinks. Mm, God's punishing me. That is, that is not true. That's condemnation. Condemnation is you declaring something about God or about yourself that God himself does not declare. And so in those moments, what do you do? You go, this is condemnation. And I heard Pastor Jason say in Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So this is not God's punishment. I am a righteous daughter of God, son of God. Well, I, I'm not under God's condemnation. I am in Christ. He has declared me not condemned. I am forgiven. I don't know why I'm suffering. I don't know why I'm going through this, but I trust his grace is with me today in this moment of suffering. And this is, this is the truth, that we need to understand who we are. And you are, you're not condemned when others try to condemn you. It doesn't matter what they say about you. What God says about you is who you are. What God says about you is your identity. This is the covenant of God's grace. Scandalous. And our minds start, now what about this and this and this? But what about there? What does that mean? What it, listen, you're under God's grace. And so we're to look to him and say, Lord, will you work your grace in my life? We're to come to the word of God. And when we, when we see things, it's not about your self-sufficiency and your strength and your self-determination. Self it's about the grace of God that will sustain you and make you be conformed into the image of Christ as you trust his grace. The last one, you are not condemned for this one, for now and forever. For now and forever. God doesn't withdraw his covenant from you. You are being conformed to his, to his image. You are justified. In other words, right standing. You are righteous. Now we are being sanctified. But our sanctification has already been provided. So we're continuing to apply that to our lives through the grace and covenant of God's grace. Friends, this is the grace of God, and it's good news. It's good news. And when we apply this to our life, all the struggle and the wrestling and the, and the, and the mental games and all of that begins to go away. 
and we look to Christ and say, that's who I'm striving to be. But it's not through my striving. It's through your grace in me. So God, through your grace, will you help me? Many of us here today are under this heart or spirit or a feeling of condemnation. And the Lord wants to deliver you. And he wants to set you free. So if we could just for a moment, just bow your heads just right where you are. So many of you have had your growth with Christ stunted because you thought he's mad at you. Because shame has ruled your life because of a a failure. Some of you have put incredible restrictions on relationships. And they weren't put there because of grace. It was put there because of your identity is in how that relationship turns out. And so you think, I'm going to control everything. And that controlling spirit actually leads to abuse. It leads to more dysfunction. Self-sufficiency always creates more messes like we saw with Abraham. So I want to invite you today, right now, right where you are, just to, right between you and God, just say, I receive your grace. I receive your verdict over my life. I receive what you've done. And I receive my identity. Now, Lord, through your spirit and through your grace, Help me to keep looking to you and not to myself. To keep looking to your work and not to myself. Jesus, you are my king. And through your grace, help me to live within your kingdom and to put my hope and faith in you and you alone. Just remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If you're here today and you would say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to receive what he's purchased for me. I want to know freedom. I want to know forgiveness. I want to know what it's like to be at peace, not just now, but forever. And you're here and you want to receive that just want to ask you just take a small step of faith. If that's you, just raise your hand and you can put it right back down. Thank you. Bless you. Bless you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands going up. I want to lead you in a prayer that just affirms what Christ has already done. And let's all pray it together. Father God, thank you for your son. Thank you for sending him for me. Thank you for sacrificing him in my place. Thank you for paying the penalty of sin. 
Thank you for making a way for me to be forgiven. I receive that today. I receive that you, Jesus, died on the cross for me. I receive that you were buried in my place. And I receive the resurrection of your body. That by my faith in you, I also will be resurrected. By your grace, lead and guide me from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church.